The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This Is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better. The incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. Today I'm talking to Robbie Van Dam, a visionary entrepreneur who's revolutionised the pest control industry. He also happens to be one of Kiwi Bank's New Zealander of the Year Spark Innovator finalists for 2023, and his story is quite something. Robbie co-founded Good Nature in 2005 while he was working part-time for the Department of Conservation. It was initially a research and development company after Robbie and his uni mate Craig Bond saw the inefficiency in traps that kill just one pest at a time and need regular checking before needing to be cleared. Now, when we're talking about killing pests, we're really talking about protecting our native flora and fauna, which is imperative to maintaining biodiversity. If we want to restore habitats to stop the decline of our native plants and animals, then we simply have to control pests like the possums, rats and stoats that are such a threat to our wildlife. Anyway, together, Robbie and Craig came up with a trap that could kill pests in an efficient and humane way, always with the goal of giving our amazing native plants and animals the best shot of not just surviving, but thriving. And the world has taken notice, with the trap now being used all over the globe and saving massive amounts of money in pest control efforts, enabling those funds to be channelled into other areas of biodiversity protection. Robbie's story is about challenging the status quo, looking for better solutions and committing to making meaningful change to the world around us. And as for turning that innovative spirit into a globally successful company, well, that's just a bonus. Talking to Robbie was a true pleasure. The humility and passion he brought to our kōrero truly defines the idea of ordinary people doing extraordinary things and demonstrates good nature's kōpapa of nature first, profit second. I walked away from our chat feeling inspired to look for opportunities to innovate in everyday life and I reckon after hearing this, you might feel the same. Here's Robbie Van Dam on This Is Kiwi. Kia ora, Robbie. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to have you in the studio. I've been reading a lot about you and I'm feeling very inferior, I have to say. <laughs> not at all, not at all. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't at all. It's, um, it's, this is a great thing to, um, to share. I, I really like the initiative. Yeah, it's great. Cool. So in the 2023 New Zealander of the Year Awards, you're a finalist and Innovator of the Year. And I think before we get started, because we are going to talk a lot about what makes you tick as an innovator and what innovation means to you. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about good nature. Um, tell me what it is. Okay, so good nature was, uh, we started it in about 2005. So um I had been, as a part-time job, I was working at the Department of Conservation, and my job there was to work on really critically endangered species. So um, you'd have a bunch of uh, scientists that that, that would um, create an understanding of the breeding behaviours of particular animals. And, and in New Zealand, you know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. We see them plummeting, um, and we monitor them, we know what's going on. Um, the kind of challenge is, how do you re- reverse that? And typically, it's just um, as simple as um, making animals breed more often. And and 
mostly it's about making the context for that. You know, it's, it's lighting the candles and setting the table and making sure that everyone's in the right place and mm. they'll get on and um, deal with what needs to be dealt with. But uh, my job was to try and come up with solutions to some of those challenges. So when a species got critically endangered, so we were working on or some of the um, some of the birds that we worked on, takahe, uh, kakapo, um, we have lots of um, invertebrates and skinks and um, all sorts of crazy things that need also um, a bit of support. And they would come to me and ask for, you know, we need to we need to convince the females to eat more so that they think that every year is a masting season. Mm. And so my job would be to come up with some sort of solution that might um, feed the females but not feed the males, um, would weigh them um, so we understood, you know, that everything was going all right. And then we could predict... Um, whether they were going to breed effectively. So it was all these weird things. You'd have strange conversations about um, strange animals and their breeding behaviours. And through that process, you kind of learn that there are two sides to a biodiversity kind of argument and, and or um, the situation we've come to is um, kind of two-sided. One, that you can host them when the species is down to that very, very last um, few animals of a mm. population. Or just deal with this, the reason that they're at that, at that problem, right? And it's a little bit, you know, uh, fence at the top of the cliff, ambulance at the bottom, right? For sure, for sure. So it's, um, I, I put it down to two categories. It's, um, it's uh, cuddle them back into existence or just kill, you know. And so if, if, you, if you look at the other side, so if you look at the killing side of things, um, there really are only six or seven reasons that most species are in decline. If you remove those, then you can support sort of four or 5,000 species back to health mm -hmm. versus the cuddling side, which is, and, and both are really important. Um, when they get to such critically low numbers, you have to, you, you're forced to cuddle. They're not mutually exclusive. Of course, of yeah. course. So um, so I realized actually to, to really scale um, and increase the efficiencies of things, my role was to actually come up with a technical solution to that other side. Um, so I um, had, had a really close friend at, um, at university and uh, uh, we sat down one evening and um, we were in the top 40, under 40 designers um, to exhibit in Milan. Um, so we, we didn't take uh, rat traps. We took uh, chairs and furniture and beautiful things. Oh, wow. And so we, we kind of left university thinking, you know, where is all the good design? And um, but the thing with a lot of good design is that there's not the purpose underneath. So we, we were kind of on the, um, we think both is really critical. So tell me what it is. What is your innovation that oh. you finally got to? I mean, it's not like you were lying in bed one night, you had the, the form and function come to you and you went into the lab or whatever, <laughs> wherever it is that you do your things and made this thing the next day. We, we're yeah. hearing it was yeah. like quite a process. Yeah. Um, but the end journey... The end of the journey. Well, not the end because you're still going, but that you know the product sure. that you came up with. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Craig was out biking one day with his daughter, and uh, he took the bike out of the back of the car, and the tire was flat, and uh, a mountain biker coming past um, offered to pump it up, and he had a little CO2 canister, and from that, um, you know, there's a huge amount of energy in one of those things, and so we use that energy to um, make a trap reset itself. So it's simply automating a system that, um, uh, you know, it means that we get two dozen kills out of a trap rather than one. Mm. So um, your traditional snap trap was invented in sort of the 1880s and nothing's really changed there. And of course, um, you know, that product 
um, hasn't really evolved. Still the same thing. Um, and then, you know, from that, of course, um, Dart is a really significant product for us. We All of these traps, you know, we know exactly where they are, um, when they go off. Um, often people um, load in what they've caught. Um, and so we start to build up a picture of um, how and why and build all the context around a trap. Um, so it's one of the most, you know, sort of sophisticated systems there is on the planet for this type of stuff. And then we have also um, new traps that... Um, biodegrade with the animal so the little tiny ones and uh it catches the animal um rats in particular and then um it it's just made of a couple of parts and it um it catches the animal kills the animal and then um biodegrades with the animal as it um as it decomposes so these sort of one and done ones that you can kind of lay the traps and no, you don't have to go back to them to retrieve anything, For just sure. let it do its thing. Yeah, so we have really strict guidelines around what biodegradable is. Yeah. And uh, and so basically we chuck it in um, in a hopper under a, an aircraft or a, a drone or a helicopter or whatever, um, and you just sprinkle them um, as you would. Um, so current methods that we do, that we use across the country. Um, and you, um, so the, the good thing about it, of course, is that um, you can do it any time of the year, so it's not reliant on um, a weather window. Um, it's also, because it's not a toxicant, it doesn't bioaccumulate, so it means that you can um, you can distribute them and then you can follow up six months later and do it again. And, you know, season after season you could mm. do it. Um, and then, of course, because it's so incredibly targeted, you know that, you know, each time they go off, they're killing just the thing that you're hoping to kill, you know, that you're meant to kill. Yeah. Innovation can mean a lot of things. Mm. I think for most people, they think of a product or a service, right? You've invented something, essentially. Uh, and there'll probably be a lot of people listening who think this is a great chat, but I'm not an innovator. What does innovation mean to you? Because in my mind, it's new ways of thinking. It's coming up with new methods of doing things. And that can be at quite a micro level in your everyday life, right? Yeah, to totally. And you're right. Innovation can be, um, you know, I know, I, you know, mine's mostly around hardware innovation, but, you know, being a really innovative brand is a totally different thing. Or you you can simply, you can make shoes out of better materials. The, those are just a very, very simple, um, a simple combination. You can make a t-shirt out of wool instead of cotton, you know, like you can, innovation doesn't have to be too deep or too complex. And in fact, sometimes the noise of the complexity of innovation can get in the way. So it is important to kind of recognize that innovation, um, you know, f um, maybe in a business sense, financially um, uh, or strategic innovation um, can be really, really simple, you know, can be very, very um, light touch um, if it's done really effectively and if it's done um, sort of evenly across your brand. So, yeah, I, you know, we certainly haven't nailed <laughs> too many of those, but all I'm saying is that it's um, it's actually really important even to recognise they exist, you know. We all sort of have the potential to innovate in different ways in our lives. Totally. Yeah. Look, we're, we're having a conversation on a podcast, you know, like you think that innovation alone, you know, the fact that I can, um, I can record my voice, uh, load it up and distribute to millions of people who will obviously well, want this conversation. that is extremely ambitious, but I you love know, it. <laughs> it's, you know, like that in itself is a remarkable, um, that's been a remarkable sort of um, 10 years of innovation from a, you know, from a huge number of people. It's, 
you know, I find podcasts one of the most remarkable things, you know, get exactly what you want when you want it um, and you get all the information that you can, um, yeah, want to find. I don't know how you find the time to listen to podcasts, what with all the work, the running of the business, <laughs> the innovating, the flying of planes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a busy so, man. I, I'm, I'm a, um, I am a generalist, so I'm, um, I love to do a bit of everything. I like, I, um, so when I see something interesting, I, I will dive in and um, try and understand it and everything about it. So I'm a kind of a deep generalist. You know, the idea is that if I see something, I, um, I find intriguing. And, and what's important about, or the way that I learn, I, you know, I can't speak from any others. The way that I learn is that in doing that, you know, I'm a, a sort of an empirical learner. The way that I do that is often innovation comes from the crack between um, what you think is going on and what's really going on. And sometimes what you think is going on is quite different. Flying planes is, is possibly a good example is that, you know, you're, you're trying to predict, you know, um, in the next couple of hundred meters what the weather's going to be like or what, what's going to happen in front of me. Um, and so you're making those adjustments to kind of course correct for something that completely may not even exist or is completely foreign to, you know, um, you and the aircraft. The, the gap between the adjustment that you make and um, also what you think is happening and what the aircraft does, I think those little cracks in between, that's where innovation happens. Um, and, and often it's about a misunderstanding of how things work that you actually come up with the best stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I learn and that's how I innovate. And I think it's interesting when you talked before about um, the existing pest control or trapping methods how they've been around for such a long time. And there can be a tendency for us to assume that because something has always been, we've reached the peak, we've found the solution, that's the best way to do it. Totally. Uh, and that can be a real barrier to uh, innovation. It's just a mindset thing, right? Absolutely. Like, like fundamentally, um, everything can be better. You know, I think I wake up in a world where, you know, the world has to be better. You know, that's what I'm always, that, that's what drives me, right? Is there's got to be a better way to do anything. Um, if there wasn't, you know, we would have stopped evolving a long time ago. And I think, um, you know, innovation can be an incredibly uncomfortable and kind of lonely space in a lot of ways because you you always desire what doesn't exist. Yeah. At the same time, that's really critical, you know. Um, you have to talk about stuff that um, that could be in order to sow the seeds for people to kind of piece it together and eventually in time that comes along. You know, there's always a gap between what you think is going to happen and what happens. I think Kiwis are particularly good at having a crack at most things. Um, we're pretty general at anything. And so the good thing about that boldness and that um, that energy that we have is that um, we, you know, we stumble into solutions quite quite quickly. We'll throw ourselves into things that we probably shouldn't be doing, um, <laughs> and we, you know, next thing you know, you know, you you might be a multi billion dollar sort of movie making company, or you know, I think it's um, you you can't design where your innovations might end up. You have an expectation of what they might become, but it's typically into a space that doesn't exist, and you create that. Um, when when we started, um, we said, when we were working with the Department of Conservation, we said that um, 
our intent was to remove all the rats off the islands. And one of the managers there was like, like all the offshore islands. And you're like, no, 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 there's a big one and a little one and both of those islands, you know, we'll <laughs> remove them all. And I think, so, you know, there was no such thing as an ecopreneur or, a, you know, doing things like making a business that just does good through delivering a new way of doing things. You know, that's 20 years ago. Um, and what grew out of that, I think, you know, we the whole predator-free 2050 movement, you know, it's now five years old or six years old. Um, the government's poured, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into the initiative. Um, there's community groups up and down the country that are deeply committed, doing huge amounts of work, amazing stuff. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to be involved in that and, and, and part of a sort of a mega trend and you know, whether you create it or whether you're part of it, it's kind of doesn't really matter. You're, it's all in it together. You have to have an incredible amount of hope and optimism <laughs> when you're, I mean, you've been on the ground seeing how devastating pests have been for some of our most endangered species. Um, and to be able to think, I'm going to do my bit to try and turn this ship around and think that that actually that could happen one day because otherwise what would the point be, you know, <laughs> you're just delaying the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Tell me about tell me about little Robbie. <laughs> what inspired you as a kid? What made you care so much? Yeah, I think you know, I grew up on a on a farm in the you know way down the west coast. I grew up um, with uh, so my closest neighbour was a um, he flew Lancasters in the war. And I became really close with him. And every weekend, we'd um, he had a Land Rover, and we'd go to the beach, and we'd go to the, you know these huge stands of beautiful um, rimu trees. And you're in the middle of a World Heritage Park, so we would go off and go gold mining and do. And he kind of had this. Maybe you know when you're close to not living, living is a really magical thing. And so I think he shared um, he shared a desire that you know every minute you know is a is a, is a lucky thing mm. you know and 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 an opportunity totally right and yeah. so as a kid there's n nothing more exciting than being able to um you know drive through a river in a land rover and kind of potentially get stuck and you know have to find your way out or so i think that certainly helped um growing up in in a remarkable place helps you know so um we have we're blessed to live here, you know, it's a remarkable thing. Um, I think also traveling, you know, not being here has been a really good thing too. Um, so I think all of those things help to inspire. I think in terms of biodiversity, you know, if you look at, it is pretty doom and gloom in a lot of ways in that, um, you know, we have 4,000 species endangered in New Zealand. Um, but at the same time, it's taken, um, it's taken 100 and 50 years for us to get to this point. So I suspect it might take 150 years to get out of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that's going to happen immediately. Um, I think, you know, we can see them today, um, the problems coming. And, um, you know, they're quite different. To, you know, biodiversity is at the end of the um, chain. You know, it just has to suffer what we've created in a lot of ways. But at the same time, there's nothing more... Um, enjoyable than actually getting those um, those returns, you know, watching, um, you know, if you look at a huge project like Cap um, Capital Kiwi, we have uh, like right on our back doorstep, 24,000 hectares and returning Kiwis into Wellington City. Like those are remarkable That's things, amazing, you yeah. know, and people that haven't seen Kiwi for 50 years actually having them in their backyards again, you know. So 
I think those are the types of things that's the community wins and watching others getting success with your product. That Those are all fantastic things, right? Aotearoa is very well placed to be pioneers in this sort of thing because, as you say, it's a remarkable country. We are not limited in the ways that some other nations may be because we don't have other people kind of breathing down our necks geographically in the same way. There's a lot of beautiful, largely untouched land um, and and we, you know, we know what it's like to grow up and run around in bare feet in the grass and go for a swim at the beach, um, you know, every weekend. And that is something that we can tend to take for granted. I know you will have had many challenges along the way. And I think part of inspiring people is um, setting up people for success is being realistic about some of the things that you've encountered. And I feel that sitting in this room, you're generous with your knowledge. What have you learned that you think is really important for people to know to help maybe make their journey less bumpy? Or what should they prepare for themselves because the bumps will be there, <laughs> yeah. you know? Oh, there's th- yeah, there's real bumps. I think um, one thing about Kiwis is that we're, we're extremely critical of our own. Um, and that is really, really difficult. That is something that I've never really understood and I, you know, uh, continue to be challenged by. Yeah, I don't think we're as generous with um, our feedback as we can be, you know, so we can be very casual about a lot of things, but when we f- give feedback, we d- we're not. But, you know, the, the counter to that is that it also makes you incredibly good when you turn up somewhere else, you know, so... In the early days, we created the trap and then, you know, the first thing that somebody would say, you know, we had this kind of feedback as well. What's the point if it resets itself and can kill 20 things if it doesn't have a lure that's, you know, constantly available? So then we go off and a year later, we've created a way of making the lure be constantly available. You switched yourself like, up. You had to make, uh, totally, to, totally to continue right. to innovate to make your original innovation work. Totally. And then, and then the next thing is, well, if I don't know how many times it's gone off, and then so then you go and create, like, well, you know, the data side of things. So then, all of these things ladder up to actually, um, you know, the, the deep critical nature. You know, there's nothing on the planet like our thing, yet it's still not good enough. But then when you turn up in another country, it's like, oh, my God, what is this? You know, this is outrageous. You you know, like I just can set it and forget about it, you know. And it's um, – so I do think that it has um, it has helped in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think it needs to be so uncomfortable, you know. I don't think it needs to be such a negative process. Um, so that that is quite hard. And, again, I have to reflect on, you know, my view to the world is that things can always be better. And so um, – you know, I'm dissatisfied the moment something's created, you know. It's kind of like, it can always be better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, th- I think the road is really challenging. It is really, you know, we're 20 years old or something, uh, 18 years old, you know, uh, as a business. And um, every bit of it's kind of challenging, you know. There's not an easy bit of it. We, we could have made it easier um, at lots of points along the way. I think as long as you have ethical alignment with the people that you're with, you know, so if you have investors, make sure that um, they see the world the same way as you. You might not necessarily get the best deal, but if they see the if they see the world the same way as you do, it's much easier to propose, well, you know, um, we recently just became a, a, a B Corp and 
part of that is actually in the boardroom, you know, having to report on what have you done for the environment yeah. or what have you done for your people, what have you. And so making sure that everybody's well aligned in that way, um, I think that certainly helps. I think, um, yeah, be really prepared for lots and lots of, yeah, solving lots and lots of problems. I think, you know, solving social, you know, choose choose just solve maybe a few things in isolation rather than all of them at once. Yeah. Um, we certainly suffered that in the beginning. Um, I do think that actually we're in a really interesting place with, um, like I think business is in a, a remarkable mechanism for doing good. Um, and I do think people are prepared to do, um, to you know, to put their money um into um you know into biodiversity or enhancement or um you know some of those um putting it back into um making the world a bit better i, I think though the way that um i've always seen businesses that it's there is it's not useful to make a um, business that makes widgets and then turn around and give that money away to a conservation initiative or to a to an earth saving something or other when you kind of had those 30 years where you could have actually just been doing good as well you know the business can simply be doing good and delivering good um, while it functions you know don't make it an end goal make it part of your journey but totally totally yeah. and I th you know I know a lot of people who have become incredibly wealthy and then done all the gifting back and that's fantastic. That's, that's it's, nice it's too. Good that, <laughs> it's good that they've done that. That's but not the only way to do it. Yeah, and I think um, doing good while you, you, you know, as you turn up, it makes those hard days much easier um, if you kind of, you know, it's for something bigger. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll just finish with this. Mm -hmm. If you could talk to the younger version of yourself, so, you know, you're, you're rolling through the uh, the river, not knowing whether or not you're going to make it through the other side um, in the Land Rover. And, or perhaps you're about to head to university and you're going to do your architecture and design. Um, and you could say, Robbie, you've got this life ahead of you. <laughs> here's some things I want to warn you about and here's some ways I want to encourage you. What would you say? I would suggest that I need to... Um I would say, Robbie, uh, care less about other people's opinions of what you're doing um, and and also be a little bit kinder to yourself. Yep. I would say those two things. And, and uh, I think because between those two things, you know, I know that I set some extremely high um, expectations of what I'm doing. Which, you know, inevitably um, becomes, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of pressure on mm. others around you um, and also on, the, um, on your business. But um, at the same time, I also, like we were talking about earlier, is that it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks about what you're up to. Um, because if you, yeah, truly think it's the right thing, then it's time will come, you know. And, um, yeah, 20 years later, you're, you know, you, you, you're kind of part way along that journey and, and you're close to achieving it. So, yeah, I think those, those would be the two things I'd suggest <laughs> spend a little time working on. And actually, you know, caring less about what other people think is kind of being kinder to yourself in many ways, isn't it? It's yeah. sort of one and the same in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, certainly it's, a subset. Um, hey, thank you, Robbie. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today and what sort of makes you who you are 
and uh, some of what made you the 2023 Innovator of the Year finalist in the Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the Year Awards. This is Innovation, this is Kiwi, that was Robbie Van Dam. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.